It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week, we look at sports topics locally, sometimes nationally. We got our gambling segment, which we're happy to have back for uh, the second straight week because we are knee-deep in the gambling season with football starting. And, of course, the favorite segment of the show for me, Ask Me, Ask Skinny Anything. Uh, Rick, uh, we are starting this podcast actually after breaking news that we'll touch on a little bit later on in the podcast. So at least uh, we kind of timed this up right. We're doing it the day before the Bengals play the Browns. So we're right in the middle of a perfect time to do a podcast, in my Uh, opinion. I tell you what, we went a long time without anything to talk about, and we somehow kept this going. (laughs) Thanks in large part to our listeners who are sending us interesting questions. But all of a sudden, we have a whole heck of a lot to talk about, both locally and nationally. It is like sports Christmas, and I understand there's risks and other serious things going on in our country. But in terms of the uh, the toy land that we live in, which is the sports world, this is as good as it gets right now. Yeah, no question about it. We are We are back to some level of normalcy where that's concerned. Yeah, so let's jump right into it because we got uh, plenty to get to. The Bengals lost their season opener at home 16-13 to the Chargers on Sunday. By now, you already know the story. Burrow led the team on what looked like a game-winning drive, only to have A.J. Green's TD wiped away by an offensive pass interference call. And then Randy Bullock shanked a 31-yard field goal because he, quote-unquote, cramped. Skinny, should Bengals fans be more encouraged or discouraged by what they saw in the season opening loss to the Chargers? I guess encouraged um, because I, I, I think the defense is going to be maybe not that good because you're not facing Tyrod Taylor every week. But I think the defense is going to be – and I think it showed it much improved. I thought the coverage was really tight all game. I thought William Jackson had a great game. I thought Jesse Bates had a great game. Um, the, the Chargers started to gash them a little bit when DJ Reader went out. But eventually when you get DJ Reader and Geno Atkins playing together, and it probably won't be this week either, I don't think Geno's going to play on Thursday night. Um, but eventually when you get those two guys playing together, I think it's going to make them a tough team to run against. I was encouraged by the play of the linebackers, even Josh Bynes, who I've kind of made fun of, of being a journeyman. I mean, I gave him my, my game ball in the, in the fifth quarter. I thought he played really well. He had a big play down by the goal line where he stopped the guy for a yard loss. He had a, he had a sack, although it wasn't much of a sack. It was a sack for zero, but he still had a sack. And, um, I thought he played solid. I thought he did a good job stabilizing some things. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that to me was encouraging. Now, I will also say after week one of last year, I was extraordinarily encouraged by what I saw going to Seattle, almost winning, creative stuff on defense. Wow, look, they couldn't run the ball, so what did they do? They threw it a bunch of times. What a, what a clever guy this Zach Taylor is. Well, well he's 2-15 and 15 now in his first 17 games as a head coach. So um, that, 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 I guess the discouraging part is in close games, I think he's now 0-9 in games decided by one touchdown or less, and, and it makes you wonder, is he capable of finding ways to get this team to win win close games, but on the encourage, I, I think I'd be more encouraged because I, I know we're going to get the burrow here in a bit. I, he's going to just get better. And that last drive was just superb. Um, I, I, you know, I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I think they, they kind of gave up on it a little bit on, on Sunday and some of it was the way the game played out, but no, all in all, I, I, I I'm encouraged. I, I think this is a better football team for sure. I don't know what that means and what it's going to mean record wise, but I think it's a better team. I would agree that that you should be more encouraged. I certainly was more encouraged than discouraged with my expectations going into the season being what they were. I thought Burrow was as good as you could expect for the situation that he was put into. I thought the defense was much better than I expected. You pointed to Josh Bynes. I thought he was great. And Jermaine Pratt, he looks good. 
I mean, he looks like he is going to be a player. His, his explosiveness and athleticism gives this Bengals linebacking core an element that they haven't really had at the position in a, in a few years with some of the retread journeyman type guys they've been trying out. And Bine looks to be the best of that group by the way. Right, you know, correct. Yes, correct. Um, he, he doesn't look quite as slow or quite as much of, as a guy who, who's lost a step or should be a backup as some of those other guys that they've brought in in the last few years. So I'm really encouraged by the way the defense played. You mentioned the secondary play. I think all of that stuff was better than expected. And I knew the offensive line was terrible going in. So the fact that the coaching staff was able to adjust after halftime, I mean, they got absolutely dominated in the first half, the right side of the line, Suofilo and Bobby Hart. And Suofilo gets injured, which I thought Bobby Price uh, or um, Billy Price Billy rather Price, yep. was actually an upgrade at the right guard position for Suofilo after he went out of the game. And then somehow in the second half, by their scheme and limiting what they were doing, they were able to counteract that pass rush on the right side and limit it a lot more in the second half, which I thought was a great sign from the coaching staff. I know everyone's going to point to they still lost another close game, but you know Zach Taylor wasn't out there calling offensive pass interference or committing offensive pass interference, however you want to look at that. And he wasn't shanking a 31-yard field goal, which is shorter than an extra point. So um, all of those things, he did what needed to be done to put him in position to win the game or at least tie it and send it to overtime. And guys just weren't quite able to execute. So ultimately that may fall on the coaching staff to, to get them to execute. But at the same time, I was encouraged kind of all the way around by the play that I saw um, and the coaching job that I saw as well. You, you can point to the timeouts and using all the timeouts as early as they did. And, and I understand that that looks terrible. Time management could have been better. But you're also talking about a rookie quarterback making his debut in a game where there's been no preseason yet. Yeah, no dress rehearsal. No live action. I mean, you, you just have to go jump right into it. I get why Zach Taylor is going to be like key third down here. We have no idea what's going on. We look out of sorts, take the time out, even though it's going to, to cost us later, you, you kind of got to live to, to fight another day and, and even get yourself to be in the position at the end of the game at that point. And I thought he made the right call to be honest. Yeah. And in the interest of fairness, I mean, without that pass interference call, they did score the game winning touchdown um, in, in with time with, with, you know, in the nick of time. I mean, so uh, it wasn't like they were running their last play from the 25 trying to throw one in the end zone and then kicking a field goal. They scored a touchdown that was called back. Um, people can yeah, argue that, Hey, if you'd had a timeout, you might've been able to run another player two or three after the pass interference. But uh, I, I can't look in that kind of hindsight. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought some of the timeout management was, was, was goofy, but I also understand it. Like I said, they did in the interest of fairness, score the touchdown. In, in the time it would have taken and, and would have won the football game. So, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm more encouraged, no question. Yeah, it's too early to overreact after one game. Like you said last year, you would have said the same thing after the, the opening loss to the Seahawks. But, I mean, based on what you expected coming in, I think you have to be uh, pretty positive in terms of your takeaway from Sunday's game. Rookie quarterback Joe Burrow gave himself a D in the loss when talking to reporters after the game. Burrow was 23 of 36 passing for 193 yards, one rushing touchdown, and one interception, an errant shovel pass that was picked off by defensive end Melvin Ingram in the fourth quarter. Skinny, Burrow says, D, what grade would you give him for his NFL debut? I'd probably go C plus, B minus. Um, and really, uh, the, the dings would be uh, going 0 for 5 on the deep balls, especially the one to A.J. Green. Um, and that, that – People keep talking about that being a timing issue. I don't think that was a timing issue. That was just a terrible throw. I can argue that John Ross one was a little bit of a timing issue. 
Um, you know, the one up the sideline um, on a third and two play, AJ said that he kind of ran the route wrong the way he, he didn't run it the way he thought he should have run it. And, and some of that, I'll give him credit for that. I think he's, he probably is, is self-assessing himself and, you know, he hasn't played a game in a, in a while. And that was the thing. I mean, Joe in college was so good on deep balls. And yet in this game on deep balls, he was 0 for 5. So I'll ding him for that. And I'll ding him for the interception as well. I know they gave credit to Melvin Ingram for making a great play, but you, at that point in the game, you're still down a field goal. Um, you know, you got to live to fight another down and at very least get three points out of that. You just can't try to always make a play. Um, that was one where there was no reason to try to make a play. You weren't going to get any yardage anyway, even if he'd have caught the darn thing. Um, but then you've got to also, if, if you're going to, if you're going to go X, X, X with the red pen for those, you also got to put a big green check mark by that last drive. Cause it was, it was spectacular. Whether that was a 10 year veteran, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, uh, let alone a rookie. That was just a spectacular final drive. Um, he went eight of 11 and of the three incompletions, Rick, one was a spike and one was a ball that John Ross should have caught along the sideline and did not. Those are two of the three incompletions. And then the, the pass to green on the offensive pass interference, you, you can't throw that ball any better. I mean, the only guy that catches that ball is AJ green. I'm not even sure if another Bengal wide receiver catches that ball, to be honest with you. That thing was a bullet to the outside, over the pylon, out of bounds, basically, A.J. plucked it. No one else is catching that. It's thrown in such a good spot that it's either going to be a touchdown or you're going to kick a field goal. And so, yeah, he gets a big green check mark for that. But I'll, I'll go C plus, B minus. I thought it was a nice, nice first start, and you saw some of the hiccups of a rookie. You saw some of the hiccups of not having a preseason with some timing stuff. And you also saw how special this guy can be. I would go B, B plus, and to me, the only thing limiting it from an A is is the things that you brought up, the the overthrows and the interception. The interception's inexcusable. You can't have it, but it's, it's the type of rookie mistake you expect from a guy playing in this first game, right? So um, it's hard for me to dig him too much for that. But the reason that I think it was darn near an A performance, if you take away those few things, is, again, this guy had no chance to prepare. He hadn't even been tackled since he's been in an NFL uniform yet. So for him to get hit the way he was getting hit to start off that game with a few of the best pass rushers in the entire league, Bosa was absolutely dominating Bobby Hart the entire first half. For him to keep his poise and still have confidence and do what he did in the second half, make the adjustments necessary and, and, and change the game plan on the fly and be able to roll with those punches, I thought that was, was really impressive to see. The other two things that really stood out to me are, you mentioned a few weeks ago that you knew the scouting report on him was that he didn't have a rocket arm for a prospect. He had an okay to good arm, but not a rocket arm. You said during practices that you saw, it was better than, than you had expected in right. person. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I feel like his arm somehow got stronger from college. I couldn't believe how well his arm strength translated to the NFL. And on that same note, I was shocked by how well his athleticism translated to the NFL. He looked bigger, faster. When, I mean, the touchdown run, obviously there's some patience in there waiting for his blocker and some vision. But the way he was moving in the pocket, I didn't think Andy Dalton was a terrible athlete. But, man, is Joe Burrow just on a completely different level. You know, Andy actually was a pretty good runner for a quarterback, to be honest with you. I mean, he's not elite athletically, but, but you know, Andy, Andy could run. He ran the option in college, and he, he actually um, – I, I think he's now – I think he's still the Bengals' all-time leader in, in, in rushing touchdowns for a quarterback. Although, <laughs> if you see more of Joe Burrow, that probably won't be too long before he, he exceeds that. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he did a good job buying time. 
Um, he, he turned some real negative plays into positive yards. I don't know if I want him running eight times, but I also thought he did a pretty good job other than a play or two of, of not – you know, not getting getting hit on some of those runs. There was one he tried to turn up field and it looked like he was going to try to run over a couple guys. I thought, yeah, yeah you're you're going to learn probably not to do that moving forward. And I, yeah, the touchdown run was spectacular for many reasons. A, what he saw in the middle of the field to make the check into the quarterback draw. B, the the, the patience to, to to literally take Trey Hopkins and, and 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 throw him into the safety and then cut around it and and still you know explode into the end zone. Uh, no, I again I. Uh, like I said, I'll go C plus B minus. I'm probably a tougher grader than most, but um, all in all, there there's nothing to come out of that game and go, oh boy, is this guy going to be any good or not? Well, I think the guys, <laughs> that last drive was was ridiculously good. I, I like I said, if that was a ten year veteran doing it, I'd still say that was as good a drive as you can have in in a two minute drill. Three oh three left on your own eighteen. Uh, no timeouts. You managed to squeeze off 11 plays and throw what should have been the game-winning touchdown. And that's what sucks, right? Because can you imagine the narrative if he'd have done that? And I don't know if you saw my, my prediction column. I had the Bengals winning 23-21, and I even yeah. said, listen, it's going to be a fairy tale finish. He's going to lead him down, and Randy Bullock's going to kick a field goal to win it. Um, and, and he almost did it by leading him down and throwing that touchdown. It, it, that, that last drive, and we're talking about something to build on, it, it, I, I, that's got to be a confidence boost. It was the it factor that, that you heard about yep. with him and it's what you wanted to see, and he darn near pulled it off. I mean, he kind of did pull it off. And I, I, all I could think about as that was going on was what you said in your, your uh, preview column, but also on this podcast last week when we were making our picks, you mentioned the same thing, and I thought, man, that would be funny if that actually came out the way you – you had predicted well and trust me that was for dramatic effect as much as anything else but it almost came to fruition well the team has a short turnaround as they head up to cleveland to take on the browns thursday night at 8 20 in a game that can be seen on local 12 the browns are 0 and 1 after a 38 to 6 loss to the ravens on sunday skinny i want you to predict friday's storyline what's going to be the big talking point coming out of the thursday night game between the browns and the Bengals? another disappointing close loss for the Bengals. Um... That, that, that to me is going to be it. You've got Cleveland. I mean, this is such an interesting game because of what we talked about kind of looking back to last year of how excited we were after game one. And then the 49ers, which we didn't know how good they were going to turn out, came in. If I, and I think the Bengals were actually a slight favorite in that game against the Niners, if I remember, which is laughable when you think back on it. Um, and the Niners came in and just put the hammer down. Then you got Cleveland, which this was supposed to be yet another good team on paper and all the offseason moves and signing Jack Conklin and, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield saying, I'm going to shut my mouth and just play and let my play speak for itself. And finally, uh, you know, not a clown of a head coach, a new head coach that, that's going to have some stability. And what happens to them in game one? They go out and get rocked. And suddenly for Cleveland, you talk about a sense of a sense of urgency. Um, week two for them, you lose to, to, to you know, your in, in-division rival with a rookie quarterback coming to your place on a, on a, on a primetime night to go to 0-2. Ooh, I just can't imagine that happens for, for them. So I'm going to go get another close loss for the Bengals. I think they play tough, and I just think they come up short. That's funny. I was hoping you were going to go somewhere along the lines of, you know, Joe Burrow slightly missed on the fairy tale story ending in week one. He gets it in week two. The Bengals have their star. Unfortunately, you went with exactly what I'm expecting, which is we're going to be talking about Zach Taylor's inability to win close games. I have a feeling Joe Burrow is going to play really well once again. I agree. Show that he has what it takes. He's going to give the Bengals a chance to win this game. They're not going to be able to pull it out against a Browns team that should be desperate at this point and just has more experience and, quite honestly, probably more talent right now. I don't know if it's fair 
to be putting that on Zach Taylor yet because you look at last year, all the injuries that they dealt with, sure. it's his first year. It wasn't a great team. The offensive line was trash, and that was no fault of his own going into right. last season. I mean, he didn't put that team together. No, that's right. And they were kind of trying to tank for Joe Burrow. I mean, you put Ryan Finley in a quarterback, you're you're trying to tank. So I don't I don't know that I put – most NFL games are one-score games. So to say that his record is bad in one-score games and make it like out to be a coaching issue – I don't know if it's fair in this case because the Bengals weren't in position to win those games last year. The fact that he had them in a lot of those games, I think, says something about the way that he coached in a positive manner more so than it does in a negative manner. And then obviously this season, you're starting off with a rookie quarterback and an offensive line that still stinks. I think you showed improvement in week one. But yeah, if you end up losing back-to-back games, one-score games, everyone's going to point to that record because we already saw it coming out after week one. You threw the stat out there. What is it, 0-15 in one-score games now? Uh, oh and nine. Oh and nine in one score games. Yeah, oh and nine, yeah. But still, oh and nine and, and they, he's only coached seventeen games. So half the games that, that they've played have been one score games and they've lost them. So eventually you gotta win. I mean that's what you're paid to do in this league. You're paid to win. Yeah. And I I I'd like to say it's going to be something else. Unfortunately, my expectation is that's exactly what people are going to be saying on Friday. Yeah, now, now the flip side is I can't imagine in Cleveland what the storyline would be if they fall to 0-2 with, with you know, losing to, to a Bengals team that's won two games in the last you know, two years coming in. Wow, and that's why they, I can't imagine they don't play with, with just a great sense of purpose, urgency, all of those things. I think a little bit of week one for Cleveland also is, is Baltimore is just that much better than anybody in this division and arguably, the, not even arguably, the second-best team clearly in the AFC and maybe the second-best team in all of football. And they, they I think they that. are. Uh, and they proved that, and I think that's part of it. But, you know, the, 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 we, it feels like Cleveland, and, and I've seen a lot of people on Twitter joke about this, especially after that week one, Cleveland again won the offseason Super Bowl, and yet once the season starts, they, they stink. If, if you're the Browns, you got to start looking around going, hey, we got to change a bunch of things up because this ain't working. I mean, we got two wide receivers on paper that are dudes. we got two great running backs that are dudes. We, we have a, a first overall quarterback that, that we thought was going to be the, the franchise guy after his rookie year. We, we signed one of the pre, premier right tackles in the game in Jack Conklin, and yet 0-2, and, and we just lost to the Bengals. I just can't, I, I just can't imagine that takes place. I can't, but uh, I guess it could. It's, it's sports. Do you have confidence that Baker Mayfield can be the guy for them? Um, I, I did, and I'm starting to doubt that, to be quite frank. Um, I mean, he throws in opportune interceptions now. Um, you know, that rookie year, he was just spectacular. It was literally, this is the guy. And in defense, I, I feel bad. He's gone through three different coaches in, in, in three years. I just don't know how you, you, you can get any kind of, you know, continuity going and any kind of confidence going. And that, that that's what, as much as I want Zach Taylor to succeed, I also don't want this to start happening with the Bengals. It suddenly you, you, you go, ah, the honeymoon for Zach Taylor is over. Let's move on. And then you move on again. And we look up in five years and you're on your third head coach in five years for Joe Burrow. Now I will say the one difference for the Bengals and the Browns organizations is, as we've seen, the Bengals are very slow to move on from head coaches. And maybe in this case with Zach Taylor, it might be the best thing for Joe Burrow. As long as they have a great relationship and we feel like it's building. And I think we talked about this before the season began almost record be damned. I just want to see, I just want to see the kid evolve and this team evolve, but you know, eventually if you're in a lot of these games, you got to find a way to win some, man. You just got to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you and I've come to the same point with Baker Mayfield. I'm, I'm losing confidence and I've always thought he's talented enough to do it, 
but it start it's starting to feel a lot like the factory of sadness has ruined another quarterback to be quite honest <laughs> well and that's 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 the fear over joe burrow right is boy i hope two or three years in he isn't bengalized because certainly week one that, that felt very bengalized to me i mean there's no more there's no more bengal like way to lose a game than have your have a kicker who has never missed as a Bengal inside 40 yards other than having two field goals from the mid-30s block. Never missed a kick, just straight missed a kick. Well, missed one because of both legs cramping up. Yeah, Skinny, it was his left. I mean, his right calf that grabbed. No, left. The kick. No, right. I mean, no left. left. Well, both of them. Right. Both of them actually yeah. were hurt. That's, he had to sit out the next day. Or actually, he didn't sit out the next day. They just both hurt. We don't know. Now, stop asking I, us. I, I, I want fans to, to understand this, though. He didn't have to talk to us. It's a Zoom interview. There's no locker that we can go over to. Um, so he Sure, can good for him, but I'm not giving him credit for doing his job. You know what? Uh, just don't be a fifth I, grader. We used to have this kid that pitched on our not whole team, and whenever – you know, the, the dude would just – tear up these not whole teams right he was like undefeated zero era because we were beating these other not whole teams with basically a select team 50 to nothing every game and then we'd go play in the select league and all of a sudden the dude would give up four runs in the first couple of innings and the guy starts crying holding his arm and comes out of the game every fourth inning and i like that drives me nuts but it was understandable when we were in middle school you know like if you're an nfl player getting paid millions don't do the faked injury thing because your pride's hurt just don't do it that's embarrassing as embarrassing as it gets (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was expecting on the injury report Monday. Um, Pride. And, and he, was, he was listed as a limited participant. And when they do it, they put the injury behind. I, was, I literally was thinking in the parentheses, you should just simply say pride. Left pride. <laughs> Left pride, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess I got to take him at his word that he hurt himself. But I, Come on. I, I, mean, I mean, even if he did, where's the thing though, Rick? Even if he did cramp up. You still should make a 31-yarder. Not even, how is a kicker? cramping up it's not like he's been running around all game right yeah yeah he's too exhausted you you drinking scotch on the sideline dehydrating (laughs) yourself i mean honestly what are you what are you doing have we checked his water bottle i that's a great point i mean are probably drunk if we're thinking about it i mean let's face it i mean we're at that age where we maybe had a few too many and you wake up with that 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 cramp while you're laying in bed and you realize oh crap i need to hydrate badly um i mean honestly what 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 are you doing over there chief are you are you I will have to seriously stretch for 10 minutes after this podcast just to make sure I don't cramp up because I'm drinking a Coke Zero right now. That's, so. a, good, that's a good point, too. All right. <laughs> Let's crazy. switch gears here. The Reds extended their winning streak to a season-high four games with a 4-1 win over the Pirates on Tuesday night. With 10 games to play, the Reds are now a half game behind the Cardinals for the division's second guaranteed playoff spot, and they are also a half game behind the Giants for the eighth and final wild card spot. Cincinnati currently has a tiebreaker edge over San Francisco with a better interdivision record. Skinny, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much have the Reds recaptured your interest with their success over the last week? I'm going to go 8.5 to a 9. I mean, it's, 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 momentum in sports is a funny thing. And I think I said on the podcast last week, they're about a week away from, from getting back in it. But I said, look, we're running out of weeks. I mean, and we, and we are. And all of a sudden, within what? Literally starting, if you want to count it from last, uh, last Friday when, with the Cardinals when that series started, to when we're doing this podcast on a Wednesday, oh, about a week has, has, has transpired. And all of a sudden, they're not just right back in it. They are in the thick of it. And, and not just fighting for that last wild card, Rick, but they're also just a, a, a slight percentage points behind the Cardinals for second place in the division, which is you know the automatic. The top two in each division get it. So I think for the Reds, I'm not just looking at them getting to the playoffs now. I'm saying, hey, let's push this to second place and get yourself a better seed. Yeah, I mean, they're just a half game behind the Cardinals at this point. So they're very much in – in contention for that second guaranteed playoff spot. And the Cardinals' and, schedule's a wreck. I mean, they got double headers out the wazoo down the stretch here. Well, and 
it feels like we've been saying it all year. I know I have that this team, if they back their way into the playoffs, they have enough pitching to be scary, but they have to get high. The problem was a week or two ago, I had reached the point that I'd lost any hope of them figuring it out offensively and getting hot or just playing decent baseball. Even some of the pitching had been lousy at that point. Now out of nowhere, they seem to have found it. I, I think there's a few things that have helped. And one of them is Shogo Akiyama has started figuring out how to get on base all of a sudden. And, and I don't, I don't know what the numbers say, like what that's exactly equaled out to in terms of runs, but it feels like just getting, seeing someone get on base to start things off and, and, and get it rolling a little bit has has changed the mindset of this offense a little bit, or at least the the approach of some of these guys. I've just seen some better at bats, guys taking taking a few more walks, guys grinding out a few more at bats. The you know, the other night they scored a few runs without getting a hit. It was like walk, hit by pitch, air. I mean, just manufacturing runs, small ball like you would talk about. Um, and it's because they're giving themselves good at bats. They're not flailing at curveballs three feet in front of the plate. Yeah, no, and, and you know, then then you back it up with some of the pitching performances. I mean, Iglesias came in the other night when Bauer was great, and then Bauer, uh, you know, got behind the eight ball, and Iglesias finished off the inning to give them a chance in the bottom half to win the game. And um, you know, then they they get a leadoff batter on, and Stevenson hits the home run, and you know, you, 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 it's just momentum is just such a funny, fickle thing in sports. No matter what the sport is, I mean, just look at at at, at Denver in the NBA playoffs, down three to one in two series, and what do they do? They reel off three straight victories. It's almost like, yeah, let's just get one win, and we get a second. It's just it, momentum is just the weirdest thing ever because there's times where you just you, you you know a team going in is better, and yet they lose because why? They just are in a funk. Well, now suddenly the Reds are starting to get on a roll, and I, I guess the good part is, Rick, if they can continue to roll, you roll into the playoffs kind of like Washington did last year. I mean, you know, you, they, they, remember they were down and out for a chunk of the year, all of a sudden then started playing great baseball the second half and rolled that all the way through. And so, again, as you mentioned, with this pitching staff, could you roll that all the way through? Maybe. Uh, get me Sonny Gray back and give me the top three at the rotation and this team starting to hit again. I, I'm going to take my chances. Well, it's not like we have to wait for it. You know, this isn't – a little past the all-star break and they're creeping their way back into it. This is no, right. 10 games left. This is another week of doing this. And then, like you say, you're in the playoffs and you've got that chance to keep momentum going for the rest of the month. And you're making a run. now. I mean, you're, you're legitimately in the thick of things and competing gotta be at least a seven. If you're a, if you like baseball at all in this town, this four game stretch, them winning, basically doing exactly what they needed to do was, was win for a week to get yourself back in the conversation they completed that and you got to give them a little bit of, of credit where it's due and, and hats Absolutely. off to David Bell too. He's had some great calls. Stevenson uh, batting the other night was one of them. It's that two run Homer. Um, he's, he's pulled, he's pushed some of the right buttons in the last few games to, to get them to those four straight wins. No doubt. Uh, yeah. I'll tip my cap to it. No, no question. In fact, when well, Sal Romano up, coming up, no, that, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and sometimes it is the button you push has to execute too. Right. And, and some of yep. that's been execution issues with guys. So look um, right now he is pushing buttons and part of it is because guys are executing when he's calling on them. And uh, that, that translates into where they are. And, and I just, I don't, I, I, right now I'm not just looking to get in. I'm looking to get that second place spot and, and, and move up a little bit in the, in the seating process. 
All right, let's switch gears one more time here. The Cincinnati Bearcats and head coach Luke Fickle will open the college football season locally on Saturday at noon when the Bearcats kick off against Austin P. That game can be seen on ESPN+. Last weekend, ESPN analyst Desmond Howard picked UC along with Clemson, Oklahoma, and Alabama as his teams to reach the college football playoff. Skinny, looking at the Bearcats' 10-game slate, is an undefeated season and a possible college football playoff bid a realistic possibility for the Bearcats? It was until the next topic we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> I mean, it really was. I, I thought the same thing, and, and I think I said it on another podcast with, with, with my friend Tony Pike, um, our Angry Quarterbacks podcast, that, that I think if UC runs the table, I think they absolutely should be in the, in the college football playoff. But now that we're going to talk about this in a minute, the Big Ten coming back, I think it's going to be more difficult um, and I've got a, an offshoot topic to the Big Ten coming back pertaining to what we're talking about as well. Um, I do think they have a legit chance to run the table. I, I think, the, the, honestly, the, the tough game to me is going to be game two against Army. I think Army's really good. I, I know they haven't played anybody out of the shoot, but they've dominated the two teams they played. Um, and I think they're a really good team. Well, and they um, clearly look ready to go. They, they've, they've, they're yes. playing multiple games that you haven't got the opportunity to do, and they have looked ready from game one. Yeah, and I don't know what, what the Austin P game is going to do for UC other than allow them to play uh, 97 guys because it's going to be an embarrassing – I mean, yeah, Austin, Austin P play – well, Austin P and Pitt decided to play 10-minute quarters in the second half because Pitt was beating them so bad. So what does that tell you? Yeah, I, mean, I just – I watched I, some of that I, game I, last night on replay on CBS Sports Network or ESPNU or something, and it was a disaster. So Disaster, no question. But, no, I think this is a great UC team. Um, and, and I think if you're a Bearcat fan, all of a sudden with the Big Ten coming back, you go, oh, really? I think the interesting part to me, though, is this. And I know on paper what I would say, but let's go to the SEC where they're all playing each other in a conference, which is going to be great football, but it's going to make very, very tough for any team to run the table. I think it's going to be really tough for any team to come out of it with a loss. So you're going to probably have a two-loss SEC champion, in my opinion. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe a team gets a loss. Maybe one survives it. One loss is, is easily in. Two-loss SEC champion, to me, is still clearly better than any team in the country other than Clemson, to be quite frank. Right. But it's still a two-loss team. Clemson's going to probably go undefeated. I think that's probably fair to say in the ACC. They're just the head and shoulders above everybody else by, by a landslide, unless they stub their toe somewhere along the way. And I just I don't see that taking place. Um, the Big 12 is, is such a train wreck. They embarrass themselves by, by what happened in the Sun Belt that they will get no benefit of the doubt if they have a team that doesn't go undefeated. So I guess there is a backdoor chance, but at the end of the day, it's still a non-Power 5 school. And as long as you know, the Power 5s um, look good enough with a loss or two, I think it's going to be very tough for UC to crack that, that nut. And I guess I'll, I'll segue into this then. I, I just wonder if this is a year because you don't have a lot of um, – non-conference games usually at least you know you got like an sec playing a pac 12 or an sec playing a big 12 they've got their cupcakes don't get me wrong but there's usually they at least have one tough out of conference game almost all of them and they've won those games which then gives the sec that benefit of the doubt of why they've had a couple of teams make the 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 the, the college football playoff over the years but this is a year where it, you're not gonna be able to, to to really test that because everybody's playing each other in conferences. I really wonder if this is – it's it's such a weird year anyway, and teams have already lost a game or two. I, I think this is the year the college football playoffs should expand to eight, 
You have the you have the four conferences that are going to play the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the the SEC, um, and the ACC. They all get an automatic bid. Those four conference champions, and then it gets us four at larges. And I think that's where UC could maybe get into the mix as an at large if it runs the table. And I think it should. I think an undefeated UC, if you got an eighteen playoff, should absolutely be in it. That'd be great. I'd love to see that happen. We've talked about it on the show going back the last few years. I don't expect it to happen necessarily although maybe it's a way to recoup some lost money money absolutely and that's where i think i think that's where i think they really have to think long and hard about that because of the revenue situation and maybe at that point you're going to get a chance to have some fans and maybe it's 50 percent capacity and i think if, if they start looking at that in terms of dollars and cents i think there could be a push for an 18 playoff i haven't heard a groundswell for it yet but remember where you heard it first that's all i'm gonna tell you yeah well i mean i'd love that and i just don't I don't know that it's a possibility, but and without it, I don't think UC has a realistic chance of, of getting in the playoff because the Big Ten will be back now and you know Ohio State will definitely be in and all this other stuff. But lo- looking at this UC team, I do think it's possible they go undefeated. Yes, very well, very possible. Yeah. I mean, you you know, the defense is probably the best defense UC's ever had. They're going to be even better than last year, and last year was pretty darn impressive. You lose Warren at running back, but I, I think the offensive line is going to be even better, and Dokes looked plenty capable running behind Warren last and, year. And, so. and let's, let, let's not forget, you've got a guy who transferred from Alabama who was their starting running back in week one last year for Alabama. Right. Yeah, yeah. You've got, you've got some depth at running back too. So at quarterback, my question is, do you think Desmond Ritter or Ben Bryan is their quarterback by, let's see, game six? Desmond Ritter. I, apparently he had a great camp, um, and I think last year I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to the kid played hurt yeah, and, and um, just toughed his way through that. Um, ben Bryant's really good too. So, I mean, that's the other good part you got. You got to, it's not like you lose Des Ritter, you feel like you're going to have a huge drop-off. Um, so they've got depth at the quarterback position. But I, I think if Des Ritter stays healthy, I think you'll see – um, the, the best version of him you've seen in the three years. And, and certainly as a freshman, he was probably better than he was last year. And again, last year, I think the kid just fought through an injury all season long and that affected his play. That's right. I think, you know, the fact that he, he got it out, got it out through injuries that I don't think people fully knew the extent of until the off season, really. Um, and the fact that the offensive line is going to be better this year. Uh, James Hudson, the, the Michigan transfer, right. yep. who got to play yep. in the bowl game. He looked great in that bowl game last year against Boston College. I think it, he'll have a better year, and I do think that he'll be their quarterback for the, the duration of the season because I think he'll be good enough. Um, and I don't want to make it out like let some people tell it and they'll they'll make it out like Ben Bryant set the world on fire last year in his limited opportunity, you know, and he looked like a, a no doubt Hall of Fame prospect or something. Um, I don't think he was that great, but he did seem to give them an element passing the ball that Desmond Ritter couldn't last year. And I, I do wonder, is Desmond Ritter a dynamic enough playmaker to win in the AAC? I think part. when he's healthy, he is. I think, yeah, I, I think, think so, yeah. He is. But can he be an undefeated 10 and 0, take you to the college football playoff and, and scare the big boys type of quarterback? I don't know. I have my doubts about him as a passer in that regard. But again, I do think he'll be the guy for UC this year because they're going to win a lot with him at quarterback. Aside from that, I think, you know, there are a few questions at linebacker, but that defense is going to be so good around that position that I think they'll figure that out. Um, and I don't worry about Luke Fickle and his staff figuring out the linebacker position for the most part. So the, the one thing I will say, they, they dodged a game at Nebraska, which it, it, you know, 
Nebraska is not going to be great, but it could have been a good test against a power conference on the road. It also could have been an extra loss. I mean, yes, yeah, but th- but that's the one though too that if you're going to um, if you're going to knock on the door of the college football playoff, you go to Nebraska and win. And I know it's not Nebraska of the 1980s and 1990s, but you still you go to a Big Ten team and win. You, that's still a notch on your belt that you can look around and go. And especially if then Nebraska would go in the Big Ten and let's say they pull an upset or two and 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 you know go eight and fourish. Uh, I, I think that looks pretty good on your resume. I think that's the, the only knock right now is, again, UC's resume is going to be Austin P and Army and then their league and, uh, you know, a, a one-loss Alabama and a two-loss LSU, right or wrong, are still going to be valued much higher than an undefeated Cincinnati. It just is what it is. It's it's kind of a weird year in that regard. And, yeah, if it, if it hadn't been for the Big Ten coming back, I, I would have liked the chances of an undefeated Cincinnati being in. But now, unless you go to eight teams, I, I just I sadly don't see it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think you look at UC's schedule. To me, there are three big challenges. You've you've got the Army game, which I think is a bigger challenge than people expected, which is good because I'm not sure some of those other teams in the AAC are going to be as good as uh, as people expected. But UCF and Memphis, I think, are still going to be pretty good, a pretty good test. So my guess is UC goes two and one in those three games and and wins everything else and they they end up nine and one heading into the postseason and it sets them up to win the american athletic conference which i I do think they'll get done this year yeah the only other good part would be if if the best team out of the big 12 is a two loss team and i mean this sincerely you you can't have um some of your bowl level teams like a kansas state um and and whatnot Uh, kansas is not very good texas tech is probably close to a bowl level team you can't have those teams going zero and three uh against the against the big 12 against the sun belt um so you've lost any benefit of the doubt if you're the big 12 you better come out of there whoever that team is oklahoma texas whomever that team better only have one loss or no losses on its resume too because i am not giving a two loss big 12 team any benefit of the doubt I'm sorry, did you say Kansas isn't very good? The team that lost to Coastal Carolina 38-23 to last week isn't very good from the Big 12? Yeah. You don't say. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. How about the Coastal Carolina guy talking smack to him, saying these, boy, these boys can't play with us? You, you How know about what? Coastal Carolina talking smack to a Big 12 team? And you know the what? guy was right. I was going to say, he's not wrong. That's, no, the, that's exactly. the thing. He's right. Exactly. They really couldn't play with him. Like, shouldn't have been on the same field. Correct. All right. Well, we we mentioned it. The Big Ten announced this morning, Wednesday, as we're recording this, that the Council of Presidents and Chancellors voted unanimously to resume the football season starting the weekend of October 23rd, 24th. The Big Ten will require student-athletes, coaches, trainers, and other individuals that are on the field for all practices and games to undergo daily antigen testing prior to each practice or game. The shortened conference-only season will consist of eight weeks with no buys. Skinny, do you think the Big Ten made the right decision to restart in October? It's the only decision. I, I mean, how, how much have I talked about how ludicrous it was that they punted as quickly as they did? And thank, thank goodness for everybody really standing up for the, the, the schools and, 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 and parents, you know, standing up for their kids and, and, and forcing their hand. And I, I go back to, I, Rick, now they're saying they, they've, got, they've got better health screening and they've got um, the, the medicals now say it's the right Look, they jumped the gun on this because of that damn unionize, and I'm going to go to my grave saying that. And they hid behind COVID. And after the backlash came, it was like, how do we get out of this? We've said it's not safe to play. Um, let's just say that now we are safety protocol say it's good. Yes, that's what they said one month later. We're safe to play. Bunch of hypocritical heads is what they are. 
Well, and, and some of the presidents or whoever, medical people inside the Big Ten at the schools who did not want to restart play have said, what's changed? And I agree with right. them. What has changed? That's the issue. The fa- what's and- changed is it's a backlash and they hid behind COVID. That's what's changed. Right. And, and that's the problem. We, we have this whole conversation and it's under false pretenses because we're not really talking about what's actually going on, which I, I think you've had it nailed from the start. And, and certainly we weren't the only people to say this, but this was about the players wanting power, wanting to take some of it back and in this climate with the safety concerns and health concerns that were in play, it it was legitimate. Like giving them some power was something that needed to be talked about. If you were going to force them to play with the pandemic going on, or at least it felt that way at that time. And I think they panicked, they pulled the plug right away. And then we got to a point where you took away all the players privileges all of a sudden, they weren't asking for all these extra things. No, we just, we, yeah, we, we just, just want, want to play. Yeah. yeah, just let us play. They just wanted their basic scholarship and the chance to play in front of their fans and, and, and you know, make, make a name for themselves again. And so the, those presidents feel c- comfortable playing again. And that's all this is about. It was never about COVID so much as it was that. And that's why it's hard to really have this conversation for me about is it safe or not? Because they don't care about that. They never did. It's as safe as it was before. It's as safe as it is for the SEC or, or, or the flip side, or it's as risky or the Army or whoever else has played. Right. It, it, it's both. It's, it's as safe or it's as risky. I mean, the risk has always exactly. been there. I mean, and just it's it's not going off without a hitch. We've got games that have been postponed. Virginia, Virginia Tech this week. Tulsa, Oklahoma State was moved from last week to this week. Okay, we're going to have those hiccups along the way. I think we all expected those hiccups to come along the way, but instead they panicked. I'll tell you the league now that's got egg on its face. What the hell is the Pac-12 going to do? That's a great question. I mean, honestly, and now, you know, we just finally heard reports, I think last night, that there might be some discussion about it. But I will say the Pac-12 has handled this much better. There have not been leaks and constant conversations all along the way the whole time, and, and their presidents and their commissioners have not been undercut every step of the way by the schools within the, the conference. So Well, but, but a lot of, in a lot of those, those areas, though, the, they're more, they're more uh, worried about rioting in, their, in, the, in the cities where, or at least the states where those colleges are. So well, they're really also – their entire states are on fire. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're, they're dealing with bigger issues than college football. Football for yeah, sure. I mean, I mean the Zoom lines no, are down there. I, I, part of it is I just wonder in, in the Pac-12 if, if most of the fan base is going, we, we don't want to play. We're embarrassing as it is anyway. We don't even get in that damn college football playoff because our team sucks. So why, why would we even bother playing? We'll, we'll just play our little little schedule come, come January and nobody will notice. Honestly, that's not untrue necessarily because the Pac-12 does suck. And, you yes. know, I don't mean to make light of the, the fires. Because the, conference, the, the conference of champions. Yeah, it's, it's just the whole, the whole situation was a joke from the start. And uh, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with the Pac-12. I'm, I'm iffy on them coming back at all. Oh, I think they'll they'll come back in January. I, I do, because uh, because they need the revenue stream, and and um, they'll be back. They just will be playing. Maybe them and the MAC can have some kind of a bowl agreement with each other. They they can each play uh, play a spring schedule. And, well, they can and, play uh, on like Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays whenever there's not other college football games. I like that. I, actually, good point. I like that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Some some uh, weekday college football action would would be fine with me in the winter. All right, Skinny, let's uh, get to our betting segment where it was great to have it back last week, but we didn't get off to the best start. We're both five and five. Uh, A couple funny things. The total in the Chiefs-Texans missed by the hook on Thursday night. We both had the over in that. It it ended at 54. The total was 54 and a half in that. Um, And then Denver covered by the hook 
after uh, Steven Goskowski missed 10 points worth of kicks in the wow. second half during Just, the wow. second Monday night game between the uh, Broncos and the Titans. I had the Titans in that one. You had Denver, so you barely got the win in that uh, to, to even things back up. So we head into this week all square, and the uh, first game is Saturday at noon. Austin P is at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are 33-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 52 in the hook. Um, two things there. If you're going to bet that game, bet the first half line for sure, which I haven't seen it, but it's probably in the 20 something range. UC is going to be up at the half 42 to nothing. They're going to win 56 or maybe even 63 to nothing. Austin P is embarrassing, but they take that and run to the bank. I'll take UC. And what was the tongue on? I've got the total here. The total UC in the over, UC in the over, and it might be UC in the, it might be 56, nothing at the half. (laughs) I'm going to say UC and the under, and my prediction is UC 45, Austin P7. I'm thinking what happens is, you know, maybe a fluky touchdown early because UC just hasn't played a game yet. Austin P has, so something crazy happens. Austin P scores. Austin P's played two, actually. You're right. You, UC runs it up on them all of a sudden in the rest of the first quarter and second quarter, gets a big lead, and then they call off the dogs a bit. So it doesn't quite hit that over. I'm going to stop at 52 on it and say it's just under. So okay. uh, Thursday night, 820, we've got the Bengals at the Browns. The Browns are six-point favorites, the total 44 in that one. I'm going to go Browns 20, 23, Bengals 20. So the Bengals cover and it stays under the total. I I I think you'll see kind of a similar game to, to Sunday with the Chargers. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go I'll go. Bengals covering and the under. All right. Well, we already talked about the game. I think it's going to be fairly close with the Bengals. Won't find a way to win it. That being said, I'm going to say the Browns get it done by the six or more. So 24-17 is my final. That's Browns and the under there. Sunday at 8-20, we've got the Patriots at the Seahawks. Seahawks are four-point favorites. The total is 45. I'm a big Seattle fan. I, I think they're I really too. good. And, and um, it wasn't just because, they, well, they, they, they kind of affirmed that with the way they played Atlanta. Now, Atlanta's looks like they are just heading backwards, and he might be the first coach fired, Dan Quinn, when all said and done. Um, but I think this is a really good Seattle team. I mean, Russell Wilson's got a bunch of weapons around him. Uh, he, he still runs for his life at times, but, uh, you know, adding jail, adding uh, Jamal Adams on defense has just made that defense even better. He's, he's a big-time player. Um, and, and I think New England's getting kind of the New England bounce with that line for me. I, I, think, I think Seattle dominates that game. I'll go uh, Seahawks 31-17. Yeah, I don't know that, that uh, Seattle dominates the game. I think the Patriots are pretty good. I thought they looked impressive in week one, but I agree with you that the line – is a little tighter than it should be. I think that's a little too much respect for Belichick and the Patriots I mean, they have the, being who they, they are. They have no weapons. They have no weapons, and you can't have Cam running 15 times a game every game. It's just not going to work. And I'm telling you, Jamal Adams, if he does run one of those read options, is going to come downhill and blow him up. Just blow him up. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought Cam looked good in the red zone, but I'm with you. I mean, you can't use him all over the field in that way, and you can't let him keep taking too many hits. So I'm going to say Seahawks get it done by a touchdown, 24-17. So I'm going Seahawks and the under there. So we're both Seahawks and the under. Yep. Monday night, 8-15, Saints at the Raiders. Saints are six-point favorites. The total is 50 and a half. No Michael Thomas, man. That's a, that, that's a big, big, big loss um, it is. For, for, for the Saints. Uh, I still I think, think the Raiders, the Raiders stink. I think they're pretty good offensively, and I think they show that in Carolina. Defensively, they're iffy, they're but again, the iffy then, 
Yeah, but but it's kind of tempered by no Michael Thomas, right? I mean, that's a, I know Emmanuel Sanders is there, but this isn't the Emmanuel Sanders of five, six years ago. Um, he's still an okay receiver. But, man, Michael Thomas is a huge, huge weapon for them. I'm going to go the Raiders with the outright win. I'll go, I'll go Raiders 27-24. Yeah, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm going to say everyone thinks that's what's going to happen. The Raiders will be getting a lot of money, so this line may come down a few more points if you keep an eye on it. I think it, it probably will. Yeah, I think it probably time. will. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. It's at six right now, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised because I think it's already dropped a point or, or more. Um, Saints 38, Raiders 27 is what I'm going with. I think the Saints still get it done just because the Raiders' defense is that bad. Saints and the over for me. All right, Skinny, The uh, it's time for Ask Skinny Anything, but this is kind of related to the betting segment because one of the questions we got this week was uh, from a listener who says, you guys always pick the local games, but a lot of times they aren't very interesting games to bet. Would you mind giving us your favorite bet? of the week as well. Um, I think he just kind of means anything, whether that's props or whatever. It's just something we're actually going to plan on betting uh, on our card this weekend. What do you have for me, Skinny? Anything you like out there? Well, aside from UC, just as a straight bet, uh, laying the points, I, I just I think that's almost a gift. Yeah, it feels I'll like it's a gift wrapped to you. Totally agree. Yeah, I, but I, I got a three-team college teaser. I usually like NFL teasers because moving, moving you know, the line – Six, six and a half, seven points in the NFL is is a lot because obviously those games are always played so close. It's just sometimes the, the thing I always tell people to steer away from, steer away from the ones where you're teasing a team down just to win the game or it looks like, oh, for sure, they're going to beat such and such. It, it, it one, There's always in that three team or is that one team where you're like, oh, I'll tease it from six and a half down to a win. And then that team somehow gets upset. I, I try to steer clear of those. But in <laughs> You're going to hate mine then. <laughs> Well, I, I, I figured that. So in college, I've got a three-teamer for you this week. I got Louisville. I'm going to do – I'll do six and a half points because you get a little bit more return on it. Um, I'm going to take Louisville from two and a half to a four-point underdog – or actually getting four points, rather. I shouldn't say it that way. Getting four points at home. So I'm, I'm moving the line from two and a half to plus four for Louisville. Um, I'm moving – and I'm scrolling through. I just had – I'm going to take Georgia Tech up to 14 um, at home against UCF. They're coming off a win over Florida State. Um, and maybe that's an indictment on Florida State, but I still I like Georgia Tech getting getting 14 points at home. And then the third part of that teaser, I'm going to take, believe it or not, Navy up to 13 and a half at Tulane. Look, Navy was awful in that BYU game. I think that's what the public perceives. I think that's why they're such a big underdog against a Tulane team that was, uh, you know, life and death to beat. But South Alabama, they were down in yeah. that game and actually had to come back and barely won it. South Alabama ended up covering. So I'm going to take Navy up to 13 and a half. That's my three team teaser. Okay. I like it. I love teasers. That's probably my favorite bet to play in general. I've got an NFL one for you and it's basically exactly what you were warning people to stay away from. <laughs> um, what I'll probably do is go only two of these teams. Cause I, what I really like to do is do a two team teaser where I feel super confident. I do this in college all the time. It, it basically gives you like minus minus one ten odds, which is like a, a normal straight bet. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's exactly um, that. And, and if, that, that's actually a really good point, to be honest with you. Yeah, and you move the line six points in your favor on a couple games you were already super and co- super confident in, especially when you're betting on like uh like a Clemson game early in the season, and you know they're going to be favored to win by 29 points or 34 points or something. You take it down that extra touchdown. Sometimes it can really save you there. So it's something I always like to do. Uh, but in this case, I am doing the NFL one, and I, there's three games I really like that I, I just think. I'm really confident in these teams winning. Kansas City at uh, LA, the Chargers. You got Baltimore at Houston, and you got 49ers at the Jets. I like all three of those. You can take Casey down to two and a half, 
Baltimore down to one, San Fran down to one. Those lines have been fluctuating a little bit. You know, a day ago, Baltimore, you could have taken them down to a pick if you got it. Um, and San Francisco down to a, a half a point. Now those lines have moved up a little bit. So maybe shop around and see if you can get a better price on those either way because that, that extra half point could save you as well. But all three of those games I really like. You can do them all three together as a teaser or maybe just pick the two you like best and go that way. I think that's probably what I'll end up doing. Yeah, I think the one that's going to come back and write this down because I think the one part of this is going to come back to bite you. Although I, I would much rather tease the Chargers up to 14 and a half, but I'm with you. I, I think Kansas City does win. I don't think they cover that eight and a half. I think that's just a big number. You don't think they cover uh, three, though? Two and a half? No, that's what I said. No, I, I, was gonna say, I, I like I, I like your teaser there. The one I think yep. is going to come back to bite you, believe it or not, is the 49ers Jets. I. I'm just that one scares me a bit too. Niners team and on the road, especially going. Um, it's you know, it's just hard for me to coast. imagine them starting off zero and two, especially. When I, 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 the I'm no god I'm noting you. I'm noting you. That's just the one I think. If if you are to lose in your three teamer, Rick, that's the one you're going to come back and go. Damn it! Why did I do them? West Coast team going east. Um, that line just seems awful inflated to me. No, I, I hear you on that one, and, and that's why I would definitely want to take it down to one. I wouldn't bet that game outright in the points. But down at one, I just can't see a scenario where San Fran loses to go 0-2 to the Jets to start their season after the way they finished off last year. But at the same time, if I take one game off, that's the game I'm taking off because I feel more confident in the other two. So uh, another question along the lines of betting. I don't know if you want to answer this one or not, but you're welcome to. Assuming your wife won't murder you when you share – what is the most you've ever laid on a game? What, was it, what game was it, and did it hit? Any other memorable big wins where you thought you lost a bet and got a wild backdoor cover or hit a big parlay? Um, I don't know about the wild backdoor cover one. It always feels like you – and that's why it's such a great segment with Scott Van Pelt, the bad beats, right? Yeah, um, it goes the I, other I way like all the time. I feel like I've gotten backdoor more the other way. But, no, I, I back I in what I like said. to call my degenerate gambling days where I was a degenerate, now I do it just for fun. And if I, if I lay a 20 on a, on a game or a 20 on a parlay, I'm sweating it. Um, this is back when I was betting stuff I probably didn't have. Um, it was a get-out special, 1990. It was the uh, final game of the year. I was down about a grand for the week and didn't have it, so I might as well have been down a million for the week. Um, and the Houston Oilers were playing, I think it was Pittsburgh in the last game. I do remember the quarterback in the scenario. Warren Moon was a normal starting quarterback, but he was hurt, and Cody Carlson came in the quarterback. And Houston was getting maybe a handful of points at home, and I just I thought they were just the better team by far, and so I basically went went for broke, double or nothing. I put down a grand on that game on Commander Cody Carlson, and all he did was lead them to a forty-one fourteen victory and got me out of the hole. The next wow. week, an interesting sideline to that. The next week, and that actually got Houston in the playoffs. They came to Cincinnati, and that's the last playoff game the Bengals won. They beat Cody Carlson and the Houston Oilers. So there was a little little symmetry to it. I also had a Monday night game once. Uh, I was down probably about 1500 for the week. And I think that might've been the same time frame. Like the, it was, it was the early nineties. I had uh, Philadelphia against Washington. I took Philly and the under and I sweated it out. It was seven. I think the spread was like seven and it was seven, nothing for the longest time. Philly, Philly ended up winning 21 to nothing. I can remember exactly where I was because it got me out of the hole for the week. I was at what was Shakey's pub and grub, not where it eventually moved to. It was when it was on, on, uh, on Turfway road. I think it's how the Turfway lounge or the Turfway yeah. cafe or whatever. They, right they used there to have, by the comic book store. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. used to have great chicken wings. So we'd go up there and watch Monday night football after I was in a bowling league, we'd go bowl and then we'd go there and have beer and chicken wings. And I can remember there sitting there the whole, 
whole night. I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't eat. I sweated it out the whole time. And as soon as that, even at 21, nothing with like two minutes to go and, and knowing that it's like, it's the overs not even, I think the overs like 43, nothing was in danger. I've won. They're like, let's get a beer. I go, I ain't doing anything till this game's over, man, until I can breathe again. And when I did, I ordered pitchers for the whole table. <laughs> a bunch of chicken wings and, and, uh, and took a sigh of relief. So yeah, there, those were some days that uh, I don't, I honestly, as much as I like, like to die, I don't miss those days. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, that's a, a bad spot to be in and it's, it's a sick place to be, but man, the, I can't imagine what those wins felt like. I know how excited oh. I get betting meaningless stuff that I, it doesn't really matter if I win or lose. I can't imagine being young guy, no money, don't have enough to pay the grand back that you owe and you need it to get out of jail. That's, yep. uh, that's as good as it gets right there. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a fun place. And that's why, honestly, I, I, I like to do it the way we do it now. I, I love the fact that there's a, there's, a, there's a thing that you can go put, put your you know, 40 bucks in the till, make a few bets, and enjoy your weekend, win or lose. And if you win, well, you got a little bit of a, a windfall to play a little more the next week. If you lose, okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't lose anything I didn't have. And, man, ugh. Those days make me make me sweat as I'm talking about it. <laughs> if you could ask any Cincinnati sports figure, living or dead, any question to which you would get the incontrovertible truth, is that? I uh, guess that's a word. It's yep, not underlined. Yep. Who would it be, and what is the question? Pete Rose cannot be chosen. I was gonna say Pete Rose would be the one of. Tell me, did you ever bet on your team to lose? Um, okay, so that's a that's a good question. The truth. Hang on a second. I, I'm, I'm going to have to think about this for just a second. Man, oh, man. That, that's a great one. Oh, man. I don't have one off the top of my head other than Pete, to be honest with you. Do you? Maybe um, ask Mick Cronin what J.P. McCure and Two Holloway actually said to him in both Crosstown <laughs> shootouts where he's claimed certain things. Um yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's not, not – I mean, obviously, I'm joking there. I don't know that there's anything seriously that I need an answer to. It's a great question. I'm sure if we sat down, had a few beers, and thought about it for a couple hours, someone would think of something good. I don't know on the spot. I mean, there, there, there hasn't been, in theory, really a lot of controversy other than Pete. I mean, Bob Huggins' DUI, but what am I going to ask? What are you going to ask you, about? Would yeah. you drink that night? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, he doesn't remember. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um. Man, that, 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 that's a good one. I, that really truly is because I don't know if there's, there's a whole lot other than to ask, ask Pete, right? I think that's pretty much it, yeah. And I, I, kudos for this guy for uh, figuring that out and taking it off the list here. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, if he, I'll tell you what, I, I, would, I guess I'd phrase it back to him. Um, if there's one that you would think, um, I, I'd be interested to hear it because maybe there was one that he had in mind that, that he thought we'd bring up. I, I just don't have one in mind. Yeah, that's tough for me to come up with one as well. What is the hardest? I guess, would, I guess, I guess it would be this. Hey, Mike Brown, why have you not relinquished the control of the team to somebody who knows what the hell they're doing? How about that? I imagine the truth to that would be something to do with fudge cakes. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Ooh, hardest I sport like to officiate? A lot. What is the hardest sport to officiate? Uh, I, honestly. I think the NFL because it's officiated so terribly. I think it's officiated horribly, and some of it is because the rules are so goofy. Well, the, I, I'm the, you know, I, I think Colin Cowherd's a bit of a douchebag, um, to be quite <laughs> frank. But I, he had a tweet that I, I think I'm fully behind anymore. 
which is, and it stems from not, not the Bengals pass interference call. He didn't care about that. It was the, the Sunday night one on Michael Gallup in the, uh, in the Rams-Cowboys game where he was called for offensive pass interference at a key stage. I'm of the yoke right now for, with pass interference, unless it's completely egregious where, you know, a receiver literally like totally two-hand shoves a guy to the ground or the cornerback tackles the receiver, that there's no such thing as pass interference. That, look, ball's 50-50, you two fight it out. And, and we're not going to throw the flag because it, it's so it's so subjective that I don't know what is and what isn't anymore. I mean, A.J. Green was getting mugged. There's a great still shot of the, the corner, uh, uh, the Hayward kid. He's got both arms wrapped around his midsection. That's a hold. That is a literally a holding violation. I and yet wait. A.J. gets called for the offensive pass interference. I, I can't I wait to watch that 6-3 to three Super Bowl this year. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they take away pass interference. We're going to have some low-scoring uh, games. I don't know, man. I mean, honestly, if a receiver wants to push off with one hand, so be it. I just think it's too subjective, Rick, and it's just there's, there's too much subjectivity, too many mis- – I mean, the, 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 uh, the call on Jesse Bates and the wide receiver, both of them getting the, the, uh, the offsetting uh, targeting fouls is the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. Jesse Bates is trying to get underneath the guy to make a tackle. And what does the guy do? He tries to go underneath Jesse Bates. That's football. Last I knew. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And I, I think the NFL is definitely the hardest to officiate because the, the wording of the rules are so convoluted and they constantly change the rules. I mean, it's changed every other year in terms of things like what's a catch, what's pass interference, um, all all of what what constitutes a touchdown. Like when they're changing, you got to complete the catch and come back up with it and all this other stuff. Like there's been all these different wordings of different rules over the last decade, even that have changed so much. It's impossible to keep track of all and, and process it all in real time for these officials. And I think that's why you see such poor officiating in the NFL. And there's so, so, so much subjectivity to it. I don't think there's any question. that's the NFL. The, the guy who asked the question actually said it's hockey and maybe he's right. I just don't think I know enough about hockey rules or how hard it is to officiate for me to make that call. Yeah. There, it always feels like there's a lot of stick flailing at guys that you're like, why is that not hooking or tripping or slashing? And you know, I'll give you that, but I don't see a lot of complaints um, from hockey calls. You see the occasional one where... You, you know why I, you don't see a lot of complaints? Because no one watches hockey. I mean... <laughs> I, I, love, I, I do like playoff hockey. I'm a big playoff hockey guy. I, I like playoff anything. I, honest to goodness, I do. I like playoff anything. But no, I just think football... And, and you're right, the whole catch thing. I mean, are we going to get to the point of uh, to establish yourself, you have to roll over, take two deep breaths in one side, and, and then we're going to get the... Uh, the ruling on the field is confirmed. It is no catch. He only breathed twice, but never sighed. I mean, I mean, honestly, it, it, it changes constantly. You just don't know what is and what isn't anymore. And I think they should have to get into joke. the – I think they should have to get into the start of a football celebration. I think that should be the wording of the rule. Like, football move. To get a touchdown, you have to hold it through the completion of – the start of your football celebration. celebration. Oh yeah, that's good. I'm good with that. At least, at least nope, that way I'll. Nope. If you look at the replay, him. if you look at the replay, he was already one thrust in to his <laughs> pelvic thrust move. I think you got to give him a touchdown for that one before he dropped the ball, Jim. No doubt, no doubt. It's just it is. I think it's I think it's very very difficult. And you see, I mean, I I can turn on any game at any time and question five to ten calls in a football game easily, easily. As a big college basketball fan, I'm perpetually disappointed that my home city of Cincinnati may never host an NCAA tournament in my lifetime. While incredibly unlikely, can you and Skinny give odds on the following scenarios happening in the next 20 years, even as outrageous as some of them may seem, and add any additional ones of your own? I just need there to be a shred of hope. 
Uh, his first scenario is Riverfront Coliseum gets a complete renovation, either under current ownership, new ownership, or public ownership. I could see that happening in the next 20 years. I could see somebody coming in and, and, and deciding that they're going to raise that facility and, and build from the scratch. It's going to probably require um, complete private funding. So somebody's yeah. going to have to do that privately, but, or, or with some, some business, you know, business dollars behind it. I, it's not going to happen with public money, nor should it. I, I think we've seen the two albatrosses down there already, although I like Great American Ballpark quite a bit. Um, I don't think either one of those stadiums should have been publicly funded, to be quite frank, um, nor should any stadiums ever be publicly funded. So, no, I, I, I do think that in the next 20 years, I, I could see a scenario with that, especially if the – I keep thinking if the banks takes off, it doesn't feel like it's taking off, and it doesn't help, obviously, that we don't have a, a red season for people to go down to. Um, yeah, I, I think I could see that in the next 20 years. But, honestly, if you'd asked me that question in 2000, I probably would have said I could see that in the next 20 years, and it never came to fruition. The leadership in Hamilton County is just so bad. I don't have faith in them making it a place that a private group wants to come take over and, and renovate. I, if the banks What if the music venue takes off, though, and you start to well, get a little more vibrancy down there? I, I mean, I, and what ca- Newport already built the bigger, better music yeah, venue yeah, because Hamilton right. County couldn't get things going. Yeah, you are right. going to have a crappy small venue there now on the river, and everyone's going – you know, you're going to be watching uh, free concerts – from groups that were popular, Blessed Union of Souls or something like that now at the, the place on the river in Cincinnati, while Newport is going to be attracting actual big shows. So I don't, again, that's, that's my exact thing. Like the way the whole music venue thing was handled, handled gives me no hope that Hamilton County's leadership is going to make this a, a viable scenario. That being no, said, that, the you're... only chance is a, a private group coming in and, right. and thinking they can get something done there. Um, he says Riverfront Coliseum gets torn down and replaced. 20 years, I don't think that's probably happening. I think it, it'd take longer than 20 years for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only other thing you'd hope for is there's a private group that wants to bring NBA or NHL, probably one or the other, um, probably more likely NBA if that was the push, and, and knew they had to build a new arena to do that. I think that, that's the only hope, and, and again, that's a, probably a far-fetched hope. Paul Brown Stadium gets torn down and replaced with a new indoor stadium, a la Lucas Oil. Don't see it. I again, I don't. I, I, the, there's no way the public is going to to pay for another stadium. I think they would honestly tell the Bengals go pound sand and walk away before they would they would fund another stadium. I really believe that. Yeah, I think I think that's more likely as well. And the Bengals just announced that uh, they had someone come in to look at renovating the stadium, and they're going to announce their plans for renovation here soon. And who knows what that means, but uh, yeah, I don't see Paul Brown stadium going anywhere anytime soon. Cincinnati gets an NHL or NBA team necessi- necessitating a new modern arena. I know this won't happen, but I'm desperate. Well, skinny, that's actually what you just talked about. Uh, yeah. That might actually be one of the more likely scenarios. However, unlikely it actually is. Yeah. I mean, let's face it though. The professional sports leagues love to expand because they, they at some point hit that revenue, you know, where they're looking for new revenue and new revenue sometimes comes in from expansion fees. And this is certainly a good market. I just don't know if it's a market that's going to support either NBA or NHL. Um, I think it's a very, very big ask. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that they can support um, MLS and Reds at the same time when push comes to shove, when people have to start paying for MLS tickets or making a decision. So uh, I think it's far-fetched. But it's not out of the realm just because, like I said, you know, 
I would have never told you years ago that Seattle would ever get an NHL team yet. Here they are. They got one. <laughs> so, um, you know, they, they've, they've lost an NBA team uh, as has Cincinnati, obviously the supersonics left uh, for Oklahoma city. And uh, you know, the Royals are now out in Sacramento as the Kings. So both those, both Seattle and Cincinnati have had teams. So it's not like this is not, they've not had an NBA team here, but we're talking now we're going on 50 plus years and it's been talked about a lot over those 50 years of, bring an expansion team, bring an expansion team. And yet it's really not gotten anything more other than, than my guy, Andy Furman trying to push for it. Um, it's, it's kind of gone nowhere. Well, hey, we got FCC. So yeah. Right. Um, any other yeah. scenario that you could see happening with any other stuff? I don't, I mean, I, yeah. again, any, you know, it's one of the, I mean, I, I guess NHL could be feasible too. It's just, I just don't, I just don't see it. All right. A buddy of mine once said that if Gordon Hayward's half-court shot went in against Duke in the 2010 National Championship, that it would have been the greatest sports moment in American history. Skinny, do you agree? And if not, what is the greatest sports moment in American history? This guy says it would be Miracle on Ice or Jesse Owens at the 1936 Olympics. Yeah, Jesse Owens at the 36 Olympics, when you put it in the context of, of what that time and place meant and, and um, the fact it was in Berlin uh, with, with, with Hitler presiding over those games, um, probably seething it, watching a, a black man win any kind of a medal. Um, again, you'd have to go, go back to that time and place and context. It's hard to do it reading it in a history book or watching it on a grainy film. I, I, I mean, in my lifetime, Miracle on Ice, just because of – and I think the one thing that the, if you if you saw the movie for those that didn't grow up in that era, um, that was a scary time, man. I mean, we had missiles pointed at each other, ready to go at a blink of an eye, and it was an absolute hatred of Russia and Russia's hatred of us. And it still probably is there, but not like it was then. It was scary bad then. And that Russian team was so good; they were all professionals. Um, you know, all of those guys um, could have played in the NHL. I mean, they were just outstanding, and they had kicked the USA's ass but two weeks prior in New York um, and, and just dominated them. And it was just, it wasn't just winning a hockey game. I mean, everybody in this country was, was so patriotic around that and, and what it meant um, that I don't even think people realized that, that they still had to play another game to win the gold medal. It just meant everything to beat Russia in that game. And it was a miracle. Um, they had no business winning that game. If you played 50 times, that's probably the only time they want me. Hell, if you played a hundred times, that might be the only time that the USA team was going to beat Russia. But in the time, place, and context of them doing that, that's clearly in my lifetime, the greatest sporting event or sporting uh, achievement or accomplishment. I'm a little surprised Balboa over Drago doesn't get mentioned here. A little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> also a very important part uh, of uh, that's a good our call. country's that's, history. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, I think most people would tell you Miracle on Ice. I love the idea of Gordon Hayward's half-court shot being the, the greatest sports moment in American history. I, I, I don't know that it's right, but... I don't know it, that's right either. It, it's a compelling case. I mean, it's, it would have been a hell of a story, and this guy had all types of tie-ins, like the fact that, you know, uh, Hoosiers was filmed in Indiana, which I don't know why the hell that would make it <laughs> a great sports moment. Cause I well, hate it was, Hoosiers, kind of Hoosier, but, it was kind of a Hoosier moment. Though. Right. I get it. I get the tie in, but it's uh, I don't know that yeah. it necessarily makes it a greater American sports story, but uh, no, it would have been good. It would have been good. I, I think it's probably not in contention for the greatest sports moment in American history though. Yeah, probably right. Skinny needs to explain why the sun is so hot, but space is so cold. Wow, I, I think that's a, a question better better left for Neil Tyson Degrassi. <laughs> yeah, you haven't smoked nearly enough marijuana for that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, that goes back to one of my favorite favorite questions. Do you remember the quarterback Todd Marinovich? Have you ever heard of Todd yeah. Marinovich? Oh yeah. Okay. He's Todd got Marinovich, the uh, obviously thirty for thirty on him. 
That's correct, and and certainly uh, was was one of those just strange talents that that was that never really came to fruition. And drugs became a huge. But the thirty for thirty is fabulous on him. Um, but he was one time asked, uh, or no, actually, how do you say it? one time he said, he oh he was asked what what do you think the greatest invention of all time was? And Tom Rinovich said uh, like a thermos. How does it know how to keep the hot stuff hot and the cold stuff cold? It's a it's a legit. So for I mean, me, it's kind of like the sun. I mean, I guess. I don't know because I guess the sun's hot and space without any sun in it because the sun's even though the sun's out there there's parts of space that the sun doesn't hit right the sun ain't hitting it it's gonna be pretty cold correct so there you go that's why space is so cold and the sun is so hot I'll tell this guy come back in a few years when marijuana is legalized and we're basically Joe Rogan just smoking it up in the local 12 studios and doing our podcast. But until then, I don't think we're equipped to handle questions like this. This is just way too deep for uh, just, yeah, just, just, yeah. Just remember about the thermos though. That's the greatest invention of all time. Yeah. For for kind of similar reasons. Skinny, (laughs) what's your favorite romantic comedy? Oh man. I'm not a big rom-com guy. I'm I'm more good, bad, and ugly, dirty, hairy-ish mob movie kind of a guy. But um, that's shocking. I, I guess I go Father of the Bride, and maybe it, it hits home because I got a daughter getting married next month, and and I I you know, at the time it came out, I uh, I'd had a, a a young my the daughter's getting married it would had kind of just been born, so um, I guess I'll go with that one. I'm not a big rom-com guy, as you can. I mean, I'm sure that doesn't shock anyone that listens to this. I think that's as far as we need to go into that. Do, Our, do, do you do you wait? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you have one? Nah, not real. Honestly, like I, I don't hate rom coms or anything, but none, none come to mind. It's like, oh, that's a great movie. I mean, I, like Fifty First Dates. That's a rom com, right? That was fine. Good, good fellows had some. Good fellows had some some comedy to it, right? And some ro- <laughs> romance, if you want to call it romance. He had. A I don't side think piece. any three no. hour gangster movie can be considered rom com. <laughs> okay, well, that, that that's unless kind of you've got more stamina than you, me, my man. Because Casino had had some romantic moments and it had a few comedic moments. So, yeah, in my category of rom-coms, those would be in there. Yeah, Scarface, that was a great rom-com. Again, uh, same one. <laughs> you dirty cop, Mel. So long, Mel. See you at the resurrection. Or were you a good wingman? Uh, yes. Yes, I, I, I was and still can be at times. Yes. What makes a good wingman? The good wingman's the one that will talk to the ugly friend while your friend hits on on the good looking friend, or he used to because your friend maybe is because I'm the guy I I just don't care I I I don't I don't care what anybody's opinion is usually, so I I, I can go go talk to to hot girl to open up the path for friend, and I don't mind that I don't mind that it, that that, that um, it at least starts the conversation because maybe he's too awkward to begin a conversation, um, so yeah I I I I think I am a good wingman yes. Or have has there ever been a time where you were the bad wingman? I don't know. I don't think so. Not not that I can remember. Absolutely no. Yeah, I I'd like to think I'm a good wingman for the most part too. But there's but there's also been a time or two where I'm like, ah, I was not I was not a good wingman there. Like specifically one time I remember at the Liars Club in Newport. Which if you're there anyway, you I mean nothing good is going to happen. But uh, my friend, one of his, his girlfriend who lived out of town was there. And I guess I, I hadn't had a few pops to drink that night. And I was told that I said something along the lines of, if you knew all the opportunities he had to cheat on you and didn't, you wouldn't be talking to him like this right now. Oh, my, oh, my. That's a terrible wingman, my friend. All I know is someone else said, hey, you're not helping. Why don't you leave? <laughs> so... <laughs> that happened. I, typically, though, I think I've been a good wingman. That was not a good time, though. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, if, you, if you're boys with somebody, I mean, if you're not a good wingman, you're probably not boys at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, that is an issue. I mean, I've had a few guys that I kind of had to cut out of the – I mean, I hang out with them and talk to them still, but you don't bring them around members of the opposite sex because they are that bad around them. That's uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, with the kicking problems the Bengals have, why don't they go after Austin McGinnis, the ex-UK kicker? Kid was nails in college. I like Austin McGinnis. Um, it, it's interesting, and I know a lot of people were kind of questioning why in the world would they sign the kicker from the Browns who uh, flat sucked in week one. And um, I, I tried to get some, some answers to that yesterday, and I really didn't. But I, I think it really honestly has to do with the fact that, that the Siebert kid was in already in coronavirus protocol. He actually just got tested I want to say yesterday after the Bengals claimed him. And part of the reason he was able to get tested so quickly was he was with the Browns through Sunday. So he was still getting tested regularly with the Browns. And I think that's really, that's all that had to do with is, is you got a kicker who um, if you'd have gotten somebody off the street, he might not have been able to play on Thursday night. Um, I still think Bullock's going to end up kicking. I think the mystery calf issue will clear itself up by Thursday, but this is really just kind of a, a backup emergency plan. And it's not the best guy available, but it's the best guy available that would be able to play on Thursday because of the coronavirus stuff. And I do like Austin McGinnis. He barely lost out to the, the kid from Miami, Sam, uh, Sam Sloan, Sloman or Sloanum or however you say his name, um, who was Miami's kicker. Um, and he's now kicking for the Rams kicked on Sunday night. And apparently it was a close battle. So I, I think he is a good kicker and maybe, with the Bengals, if they have more time after this week that they let Siebert go and, and go get Austin McGinnis and, and maybe put him on the practice squad. Cause I, I do think, I think you're all right. I think he is a good character, but I think for this week, everybody got, I, I, everybody got over their skis. Why would you get this guy? Well, again, you got to realize you just can't get a guy off the street who hasn't gone through the, the protocol. If, if he's not eligible to play till Friday, doesn't do you any good on a Thursday night. So that's why they picked this cat up. Well, that and he had downloaded the Browns playbook onto his personal PC. So, and, and there's all and, and see that and it's it's always interesting. Those are it's funny you say that though. I'm not so sure that didn't have a little to do with it too. And, and those are always it's funny when you see in weeks where you're playing a certain team and voila, we've signed Jimmy Smith off the off the da 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 practice squad. Yeah, Why? usually but, usually that's oh, a guy who who is like you know a part of you know, a linebacker, uh, someone that you know a lineman, something that may someone who may have an idea of a game plan. It's not typically a a kicker. Or a punter type of guy. But in this well, case, no, I, he knows. Maybe he hacked the Brown system. It's possible. I, but I do think, in, in all seriousness, I do think that they needed an emergency kicker just in case that this issue with Bullock is real. Um, yeah, and just it, in and case. It kept, and it kept cropping up that they needed somebody. And, and like I said, the fact that he's been tested for coronavirus what, is a real thing. Is the issue – wait, what's, what is the issue with Bullock, though? Is it that he can't make a 31-yarder with the game on the line, or is it that he uh, might have a calf issue? Um, I, I honestly think he, I think he got hurt. I, I really do. I, I, okay. I, okay. I mean, honestly, if you watch the kick, something happened because he, he almost pulled up and couldn't kick it. And, and, and I know everybody punches, punches at Randy and makes fun of Randy. I, I'd invite anybody. Go look at the guy's stats. The dude's been money under 40 yards. Like I said, he's missed two field goals in his Bengals career under 40 yards, two. And both of those were blocked, which again, you can argue, do you kick him low? Maybe, but was it also maybe protection issues? The guy is just, he's an automatic guy from under 40 yards. And that was missed so badly in such a weird fashion that I do think something happened. I think it's, it's goofy that a kicker would cramp up, for God's sakes, in that spot. I think it's shame on him for if that happened too. But I, I honestly mean, do think something happened to the guy. He afterwards, he says it was his left calf, but during the game, he's grabbing his right calf. Come on, come on. I just, no, he, his pride hurt. He got his pride hurt because he just absolutely got the yips. He pulled up. And got the yips. Anyway, your go-to hard alcohol. Uh, I'm a I'm a Scotch guy. 
if 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 yeah, I I I mix. I, I'm I'm really not a big liquor guy, as you know. Um, but I do uh, you're mix. A, you're it. a beer flavored beer Mary. guy. I'm a beer flavored beer guy for the most part, but I I do have a if I I have, I have a bunch of bottles of Makers in in the house, but I I don't drink them. Those are kind of commemorative pieces for me. But yeah, if if I'm if I'm out and I've had uh, enough beer for the night, where you just you know you get that stage where you just start to feel bloated with beer, oh, yeah. right? Where it's like I just can't drink another one. I'll I'll sip a scotch at the end of the night. So that 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 for me would be scotch easily. Any specific type, or do you? Uh, I'm just a, I'm a doers guy. Okay, little doer, little doers on the rocks. That's enough for me. Yeah, right. yeah. I'd I'd go Woodford if I had to choose. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mind bourbon. I just it's funny. I've just never I've never been a big bourbon drinker, bourbon whiskey drinker. Um, I, you know, like I've never been a big like I said, I'm not a big liquor guy. Uh, I do like vodka because I like Bloody Marys and, I, and it, it cuts well with lemonade. And that's more like I feel like I'm drinking the the. A Bloody Mary mix and the lemonade that I am drinking the yeah. the vodka, but yeah, I'm uh, if if I had something at the end of the night, it's scotch. And I know that's an old. Every time I do it, every time I'm out with, and it's usually when I'm covering the Bengals on a weekend. I get to that point where on a Saturday night I've had enough beer and we still want to stay out. And they always say it's time for you to order your old man drink, and I do. I get a scotch. It's an old yeah. man drink. That's like a drink for a seventy year old millionaire. Yeah, no, no question. No okay. question. Uh, if you had to flee the country, this is our final question. If you had to flee the country and never return. Where would you choose to live? What, who would you bring with you? Would you change your name identity? And would you change your look? I would not change my look, although I probably wouldn't shave. I, you know, I say I wouldn't shave, but I can't stand a beard. I, I just wouldn't shave every, I'd probably shave every fifth or sixth day. I mean, it uh, all depends on what you're leaving the country for, right? I mean, if well, you yeah, that's a good country, that's, like, well, that's a, it would that's seem you may point. need to do That's a good point, things. too. Yeah, that's a good call, too. But yeah, I mean, like... I can't stand when my hair gets long. So it's not like I'd say, Hey, I'm just going to let myself, my hair grow and look like Mike Gundy. I'm not going to do that. Um, I mean, you get to a certain stage where your hair is long and, and you're older. It just looks goofy. I've never liked my hair being long anyway. Uh, for me though, I, I um, probably the, the most exotic place I've ever vacationed. Um, and I've gone to Hawaii a bunch. I love Hawaii, but it's technically in our country, even though it's, it's out in the middle of the Pacific ocean. I think I go to St. Thomas or St. Croix vacation to St. Thomas once and just, it was just beautiful. Um, it's a little bit of a depressed country, but it's just a, it's just beautiful. Um, I, I think for me, that would be the destination and, and hide out there and hopefully nobody finds me. Yeah. I'm, I'm going Jamaica. Uh, to be honest, I haven't really been out of the country except for Jamaica. So that's really all I have to choose from. I guess I could go to a place I don't know. I like, but I know I like Jamaica. So well, I and would, I would uh, say this, it, it, it would certainly be some kind of remotish island, right? I mean, I'm not going to, uh, to Iceland or Greenland to, to hang, or Nova Scotia to Hell hang no. <laughs> Hell no. And I'm also not going to uh, some dreary place that is just basically like the Midwest. Yes, correct. That's it. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going somewhere exotic. Uh, what, who are you bringing with you? Are you... Uh, any, <laughs> My dog. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. Can I get the dog to Jamaica? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. It, 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 my dog. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm bringing, like, a, a cell phone, but it's going to be a burner phone. And no I'm question. just going to start all new burner social media accounts because I still love Twitter. Like, I'd still got to be on Twitter even if I'm in an exotic location, keeping up with my sports that way. But I wouldn't want anyone to know who was tweeting the crazy things that I was you, saying. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to make sure wherever you're going that there is, there is suitable cell service. Cause I need Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah, I and need Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Right. I'd Correct. be staying, like, at the resort in Jamaica if I yeah. ran away, I think. Good call. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. I think uh, going forward, we may have to trim down the Ask Skinny Anything segment. Hey, well, I appreciate I, I, yeah, all the 
question. Yeah, and, and, and again, keep keep the question because I love the questions too. We'll probably do maybe like top five of each week, and yeah. it doesn't mean your question won't be answered. It may be answered in a, another week where we bank some of them, and maybe if we just get an overflow one week, we'll just do a whole podcast worth of them and, yeah, and whatnot. Hey, a, a quick reminder for those of you that, that hung through this whole podcast with us, we're going to do a, a special one after the Bengals game on Thursday night that will be up um, first thing Friday morning, and I think moving forward – uh, we're going to do a, a podcast after Bengals games, but we're certainly going to do one for sure after this Thursday night game. Put it up, probably 15, 20 minutes, just a quick conversation of what took place. So uh, uh, we will do that uh, in the overnight hours on Thursday, and then it'll be up literally first thing on, on Friday morning. So uh, hopefully you will you will tune in for that as well. Rick, I appreciate it as always. Yep, looking forward to doing the uh, Bengals podcast. Good stuff. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thank you for listening. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pokery edition.